Disclaimer. Disclaimer. I hardly know her. This show is not suitable for young listeners due to explicit language and sometimes explicit themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to episode 58 of Teach Me Tiger. When we walked up, everyone was naked and very hairy. Teach Me Tiger. I'm your host, Melody Starkweather, and today I'll be interviewing my dad, Justin, formerly known as John or Johnny, but we'll get to that later. This is the third and maybe final part in a series on my father's adventures. Parts one and two are episodes 44 and 55. I would recommend listening if you haven't. Today we finally arrived at the hippie years. We're going to be talking about dad's time at Twin Oaks, a rural commune in Virginia. This was after his time as a dancer, actor, truth seeker, puppeteer, and Montessori teacher. The guy's worn a lot of hats. We're going to talk about dad's experience at this commune in the early to mid-70s, about living communally and cooperatively. We're going to talk about hippies. We're going to talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There's some Patch Adams, some cockroach stories, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my dad as much as I do. Here he is. Hi, Dad. Hi, sweetheart. (laughs) Today, we are covering the long-awaited hippie years. I've been really excited about this one, Dad. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm starting to feel a little um, peculiar that my life is being cast abroad to so many people. I'm not sure that it's all that interesting. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope this part is interesting. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I think it will be. Okay. I, I guarantee it. Okay, I trust Listeners, listen on. <laughs> <laughs> So on the show, we normally bring in an experty friend to teach us about new things. I've been veering away from the original show concept to bring you this series on my dad because I think he's very interesting and has great stories and people seem to like it. So this is part three of my dad being an expert on his own life and teaching us all about it. Dad... Do you have a week peak? Do you have any week peaks? Anything good that's happened in the last week or two? Uh, Yeah, I discovered a a marijuana store. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Right up Highway 15. And uh, they don't carry some of the stuff that Mary needs. She's been having CBD oil to help her with her pain. This is your wife, Mary. Yes, that's my wife, Mary. And Mm -hmm. she has chronic pain. And the CBD oil that I've been giving her for the last couple of years has been pretty helpful. But the people that supply it 
blew in order. So all of a sudden we didn't have enough and I was scrambling to find a way to get her something that would be helpful. And somebody, one of our helpers named Ashley, knew about this store. So uh, I found it right away from her description and it was crowded. They're doing a huge business. I've heard that cannabis sales have been way up since all of this pandemic business started. Oh, people are I, at home. I, had, I hadn't heard that, but yeah. that makes some sense. Yeah. At any rate, they they sell CBD in the form of gummy bears, mm. which you uh, you divide up into doses uh, that suit your situation. And so I bought one and divided it into pieces and it was good. It was helpful. So anyway, that doesn't have too much to do with Twin Oaks, but you asked me what a good thing happened. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the good thing was the discovery that was going to solve the big problem. Do you want to ask me if I have a weak peak? Oh, do you have a weak peak? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's spelled W-E-E-K, I assume. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a strong weak peak. <laughs> so you did. Good. We slaughtered our chickens. Hey. Which is a <laughs> A surprise week peak because I always get a little nervous before we slaughter birds. Oh, I would too. And the first couple of birds kind of skeeve me out a bit, like, you know, because you got to like eviscerate the chicken. We had a little assembly line going and it's honestly very satisfying. I know it sounds like what's the word? grotesque killing chickens and eviscerating them. But once you get going, it's not so bad. And then you have delicious, high quality organic meat that you raised in your own backyard. Literally. There was a period in my life with your mother that we had chickens and we also ate them and slaughtered them. That was before you were born. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember it being extremely unpleasant, especially smelly. They don't smell great. They don't smell great. And, (laughs) 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 sometimes when you're getting all the guts out they poop (laughs) out of their oh god it's it it, it could be pretty gross yes it can be very gross but it's also kind of fun you get together with a few friends this is how we usually do it is we get a few people together who all have birds to slaughter and then do it all together and it goes super fast and smooth and if someone needs to duck out for a break it's no problem this is highly apropos to the subject you want to talk about twin oaks which is a cooperative experiment on a much bigger scale and a very very good thing in my opinion yeah yeah did you slaughter birds there i don't I'm sure that uh, it was done. We had a huge amount of chickens, which we fed cockroaches. We had a huge amount of cockroaches. It was easy to find chicken feed. (laughs) Uh, But then eventually we got rid of the cockroaches and... I'm sure that we also found things to feed the chickens, but uh, the cockroach story is quite something. But um, I'll get off the subject of cockroaches and chickens, come back to it later. We always do these icebreaker questions. Oh, yeah. Okay. You shoot me the icebreaker question. Roll up your sleeves, pull up your socks, reach on into Melody's box. Icebreakers. Oh, I'm going to take something out of the box and pull out a question. Okay. What is this going to say? What is your most used emoji? Oh, you probably don't use emojis here. I don't use emojis. (laughs) A short time ago, I would have had to ask, what is an emoji? Emoji. But actually, I uh, do know what it is now. What is your favorite tradition or holiday? I think my favorite tradition hasn't been practiced for years. 
I mean, the, what I had as a favorite tradition when I was a kid, there were, of course, many, many of them. But the one that came to mind when I read this thing was to go swimming, skinny dipping at midnight in Long Island Sound because there would be harmless jellyfish that lit up as soon as you disturbed the water. Ooh. And it was it was just beautiful. It would be these swirling lights all around you as you moved in the water. Wonderful. Makes a, a great date. Go skinny dipping together and enjoy the jellyfish. <laughs> and they, they don't sting you? No, they have no sting. I was just telling a story the other day about how my predominant memory of swimming in the ocean, which would have been in Long Island Sound, the same place you're talking about, because we would go and visit your mother there, was I'd go on an air mattress, like one of those ones that's for the right. for the ocean, not for camping. Right. But you go on the air mattress and paddle out with my arms. And then someone would invariably shout jellyfish. And then I'd paddle like hell to get back to shore. <laughs> We were all terrified of jellyfish, I think. Yeah, that raises up all kinds of stories about Madison, Connecticut, but we're supposed to be talking about Twin Oaks. All right. Is your eyes broken? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It more than broken. Perfect. Shattered. <laughs> Icebreakers. Okay, so let's set the scene. What year did you go to Twin Oaks? Who was president? <laughs> Honestly, I really don't know who was the president when <laughs> that I That was kind of a joke anyway. I'm but, not really. <laughs> uh, I think it was, I think it was 1967 or maybe a little later than that. It's so right, or, it was around there. Late it was 60s. the late 60s. Okay. What brought you there? Why did, so first of all, what is Twin Oaks? We should probably explain. Twin Oaks is a country commune and it, it's not, it doesn't surround any religious notion or cult of spiritual thinking at all. There's nothing like that at Twin Oaks. Although there's people who practice meditation and yoga and that stuff, but that's not the mainstream or anything connected with the community or the way the community is organized. That's it's, good that you clarified that because one of the things I wrote down is, is a commune a cult? Because when I talk about you and mom having met at a commune, people say, oh, is that like a cult? <laughs> no, of course not. No, no cult whatsoever. It is a, it's a cooperative. It's basically an economic cooperative where people share everything that they produce and that is available and share the work that creates it. So it's a, it's a cooperative enterprise at a high level, hmm. I would say. And I, what's wonderful about it, it's an option for people that is a really good option in almost all of Western civilization, which has its tensions and has its strictions and people who can't thrive easily there you know of course there are people who do thrive um and those people are comfortable with their success and mm -hmm. their life situation but many many people are not uh, and in um, both canada and america now but especially in america things have gotten very tight and more and more people are pressed economically well in a commune like Twin Oaks, you share everything. What that means is everything is bought in bulk and much, much cheaper. When I was at Twin Oaks, it cost $1,200 a year to support each person. 
$1,200 a year. That was a long time ago. Money was much more valuable, but all the same, it was an astonishing figure even then. Mm-hmm. And, and Twin Oaks was in a position to offer services to the surrounding community, which uh, could have happened if there was, as there probably is right now, a severe pressure on people economically, people right. losing their homes, losing their income, having trouble feeding their families. Uh, Twin Oaks is in a position to run a soup kitchen and uh, help people get on their feet, do all sorts of things like that, because living the way they do, they generate extra income and extra goodies. Twin Oaks is a rich place. It's a rich commune now. When I was there, it wasn't. Of course, when everybody was getting a $2 allowance a week, it was poor. But it gradually became a a very wealthy place through the pooling of effort. Mm -hmm. So when people who are drawn to Twin Oaks, do you think those people tend to be people who are in uncomfortable position to begin with? Or do you think like they're, they need community support to thrive or? Well, when I was there, uh, it may have been different than it is now. Now that Twin Oaks is a place where everybody is pretty comfortable, I think it may be, they're just drawn to the security. It's it's a much more secure sort yeah. of a situation than many people have mm-hmm. outside of communal life. Um, that said, you mentioned people who are attracted. Well, the people who were attracted when I was there sort of fell into two categories. There were the idealistic people. Uh-huh. And I was one of those. I was going to ask. Who was a- attracted to uh, the idea of people working together for a common purpose and sort of being all aware of it and enjoying that about themselves and each other and the communal effort. Well, that's one one class of applicant to the community back mm-hmm. then. The other class was people who were quite sure that there was going to be lots of drug, sex, and rock and roll and weren't interested in pooling their effort. They weren't interested in work at all. And um, How did they get in? Because you have uh, to apply oh, well, to get they, in. You, you, it's... Well, remember, there were, if those were the hippie days. Right. People who seemed to be groovy. Right. <laughs> very often could get in because they were very acceptable socially. Charming. They were attractive and yeah. they talked the lingo and seemed to. And of course, many people in the hippie culture back then talked big ideals and they weren't really idealistic. Oh, yeah. But those people came to Twin Oaks along with the people who really came because they wanted something that was idealistic in life. Right. So and there was I would have to say there there was some uh, clash of these motifs in life at Twin Oaks. Right. And so the people who came for the drugs, sex and rock and roll, did they get what they came for? Or were those people uh, to some disappointed yes, by to the... Some ex- uh, <laughs> to some extent, yes, because there were there were drugs at Twin Oaks, but it was meant to be kept secret because the, the man was on the lookout and trying to put people in jail who 
carried a joint in their hip pocket. Um, it was like that all, all around us. And of course, the Deep South is very conservative. Twin Oaks isn't that much in the Deep South, but we were surrounded by cracker thinking. It's in Virginia, right? It's in Virginia. It's okay. in countryside, deep country Virginia, Louisa, Louisa County. It's a farming county. And uh, most of the people in the little village of Louisa, you know, had f- farming roots or were farmers. Right. And so so you'd mentioned the man kind of being on the lookout to like crack down on these yeah. drugged out hippies or you know, whatever right. on the, on the hippies. What was the relationship like with law enforcement? Did police come around? It was careful. Um, very careful. So any drugs that were at Twin Oaks were meant to be kept off the property. And there was a hollow tree at what was called Four Corners, where the property adjoined three other properties. Mm-hmm. It was like a, you know, it was like a crossroads and each corner was a different property. Yeah. But right at that location, there was this hollow tree and people kept their stashes of dope and whatever in this hollow tree. They would go out there to sit around together and get high. Right. But anyway, it was mostly cannabis and hash. Right. And uh, there was some LSD. And did, were there like, were there issues with police? Did police come and search the? Uh, No, I don't recall any time when uh, authorities visited Twin Oaks to check us all out. I don't think uh, that ever happened while I was there. And I was there for five years. So you were, uh, everyone there was just practicing due diligence to avoid anything like that. Well, it did did get careless. I mean, some of the people became very annoyed at having to go deep into the deep woods in order to smoke. They didn't like that a bit. They wanted to be able to smoke in their rooms. Everybody had a room and it was meant to be private. And who's to say I shouldn't smoke in my room, for goodness sake. Yeah. You know, um, this kind of thing. Uh, So there was some fussing about that. Uh, The people who were quite worried about authorities uh, closing down the community and this sort of thing, which could have been a danger. I'm quite sure. But the the people who were worried about it and were non-smokers got into arguments with Mm -hmm. people who embraced the druggy culture. So you mentioned everybody has a room. Do you mind painting a bit of a picture of what life looks like for people there? Okay. Living at Twin Oaks was you had a room of your own. Oh, there were just a couple of rooms where there was a roommate Mm -hmm. and mostly people who were new to Twin Oaks, they started out in a room like that. And then as uh, as the population of the community turned over, you would be able to get a room of your own. Now, there was, there was a, a small turnover, but a definite turnover. In the course of a year, I think probably, oh, geez, I'm just making a guess out, out of my, out the seat of my pants. But I think, uh, I think maybe uh, there might have been a 10% turnover. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, so for the most part, people were pretty stable there. People stayed for a while. Uh, yeah. Oh, people stayed for a while. Yeah. But they, they got tired of, if they if they came for the wrong reasons, they were really liable to get tired of the work. We worked very hard. So what sort of work? Well, before, before the hammock industry came along, which it happened very soon after I got there, but bef- before the hammock industry came along, there was, uh, there was a, 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 
construction industry. There were a few people at Twin Oaks who knew how to build things. And one of them was a guy who really understood architecture. And he was a very bright guy. I have to say that the, the idealistic side of Twin Oaks attracted bright people, people who were willing to give up perhaps a special sort of niche in life outdoor outside mm -hmm. to come and be part of an experimental commune. And uh, we had some wonderful, very bright people at Twin Oaks. I remember one guy who just seen and everybody deferred to him for opinions on things. His name was F. It stood for well, I can't think of his name. What name established his initial F, which was how he called himself and everybody knew F. But he could tell you about science, physics, outer space. And he also knew literature inside and out. And he, he was just very, very good at designing things. If you if you were in the machine shop and you needed to have a jig made that could do something special, F would figure it out and make you a jig. Hmm. He was just a very, very smart man. And uh, he was one of the very few gay guys at Twin Oaks. But uh, anyway, um, oh, and there, to talk about other bright people, there was a guy who was an oboist who had played in the Philadelphia Symphony and he showed up there and he played the oboe sometimes. And he was quite an interesting guy, too. And so anyway, the the uh, the architect guy, his name was Henry Hammer. I hope Henry might be listening and understand that I'm referring to him in a very positive sense. <laughs> some people don't like to be mentioned, I'm imagining. But anyway. Well, I uh, think I think if you're mentioning them in a very positive sense, they would yeah. well, have Henry, no choice but to be pleased. Yeah. <laughs> Henry was one of our brilliant people. And there were lots of other people who uh, were outstanding in their own way. But anyway, and these people tended to move the community forward. A lot of us were enthusiastic supporters, but there were a few who kind of led the way in many things. And this is like everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when someone in, you know, in the late 60s, I'm sure everything at Twin Oaks is quite different in 2020. But in the late 60s, when you joined Twin Oaks, what was the process like? I know you'd mentioned before that people would all kind of give up all their fancy clothes. Yeah. What, what was it like when people were first sort of initiated into? The well, you, you, you came to Twin Oaks after hearing about it somehow and being curious and you would call and ask if you could visit. Sometimes people just showed up. They were not allowed to visit when they did that. If they called or wrote and asked to visit, they were given uh, time when they could. And they would come and they'd visit for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, there were also day visits. You could visit for a day, but you had to also ask about that and get on a schedule to do it. If you thought you might like to join Twin Oaks, you had to visit for a couple of weeks and work with people who were doing the work and talk to people and find out how what they thought about Twin Oaks, how they how, how they liked it and how, what their life was like. And um, this was difficult. The, the members got tired of being pestered with all of these same questions over mm -hmm. and over. And especially at meetings, of course, meetings held, were held to settle questions. 
and this happened a lot. And um, if if there was a visitor at the time of some meeting, and there were always visitors, so visitors would come to meetings where they would very often interject their opinions (laughs) about (laughs) things that they really didn't know about. And uh, they would be asked to, you know, keep their opinions to themselves and sometimes they were good about that and if they weren't good about it it really interfered with the meeting and it was hard to ask them to leave but uh, I observed that happening one time. Hmm. I was wondering speaking of visitors so I know that there was some sort of Patch Adams connection with Twin Oaks when you were there and so I'd like you to possibly speak to that but also I'm wondering if there are any other like famous connections. Yeah, there were famous connections. Glenn Frey was a high school chum of uh, one of the guys that was was there at the time I was there. And he showed up at the community and it it was full of people who made music. Lots of people uh, played uh, guitar, of course, and there was a banjo player and there was a fiddler and there was a little band that played Lots of times people would get together and jam and play songs that they knew. But um, so when Glenn Fry came, of course, everybody was enthralled. Um, so Glenn Fry, he's a musician. Uh, Glenn Fry is the leader of the Eagles. Oh, he's the, really? He's the main singer of the Eagles. That is a big And they, <laughs> were just, they were just becoming well-known. They just had a few for their first hit record or so when Glenn Fry showed up at Twin Oaks. So that was one connection. Another connection was that the brother of Madeline Kahn, movie, movie actress and comedian, who was wonderful. I remember her in a couple of movies, particularly Paper Moon, where she played the sort of frowsy uh, side interest of the little girl's daddy. If, if you remember the plot, I, I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, Madeline Kahn was wonderful. And her her brother was a member of Twin Oaks. And he was he was a nice guy. He was didn't, a very interesting guy. Didn't mom date him? Well, oh, she, she probably there. did. I mean, there was a lot of... Was uh, there a lot of dating? <laughs> uh, there's a huge amount of dating. Yeah, yeah. I had, uh, oh, maybe three or four relationships while I was at Twin Oaks over the five years, but I had a lot of lean times too. Yeah. I was older than everybody at Twin Oaks and that made a difference because there were uh, many more men than women. And the men that were there, except for me and the the oboist, (laughs) um, were mostly around the age of the women. So, you know, the matching up just was more suitable that way. And us old guys got left out a lot, but you know, it was okay. I wasn't there just for the, you know, romance. Yeah. Although Uh, I I will say that mom also dated you there. Yeah. Were it not for Twin Oaks, you wouldn't have your lovely, your three lovely children. (laughs) That's absolutely true. And it turned into the best of my several relationships. So there you go. (laughs) So what about Patch Adams? 
Who was Patch okay, Adams? Patch, okay, there's so there's movie. another famous connection at yeah. Twin Oaks. Patch Adams, if anybody saw the movie and knows about Patch, I wouldn't have to say this, but I th- the movie happened quite a while ago now, and I think it's buried in movie history by now. So I will say that Patch Adams was a doctor who uh, graduated medical school with very, very high honors, but a uh, extremely unusual and peculiar background his way through medical school was peppered with pranks and uh, <laughs> bad with the medical people, the medical uh, authorities viewed as bad behavior. But he he was so smart that he he just aced all his exams. He didn't and he didn't study very much, but he was really attracted to alternative medicine. Being a bright guy, uh, he was interested in what might work better than things that were done traditionally. And so he gathered around himself other medical students and new young professionals who uh, felt the same way. And they formed a commune. I forget the name of the town, if there was a town associated with their commune, but they called themselves the Zanies. Um, And we at Twin Oaks loved the Zanies because they were great fun. Uh, (laughs) They would come to our parties and dances and we would go to theirs. And um, very early in my time at Twin Oaks, the Mardi Gras came along in New Orleans. And of course, uh, the Zanies wanted to go there. That was their sort of thing. And uh, they had this big red double-decker bus like they had in England, and they had stripped the upstairs of the bus uh, with seat, from seats, taken all the seats out so that you had lots of room to lay out sleeping bags. And they could take a lot of people who would uh, ride downstairs in the seats and, and bunk down at night while the bus moved forward. And it traveled, it was a very old thing and it broke down a couple times on the way, but it got fixed also on the way. I think they they had to stop and get it professionally fixed in some town on the way to New Orleans. But I went on this trip. Uh, they invited people at uh, Twin Oaks to join up. And one one guy and I were the only Twin Oakers who decided to go to Mardi Gras on the Zany bus. It was very, very interesting trip. Um, there was, uh, well, uh, maybe I shouldn't get, get off so far and how wonderful New Orleans was. Uh, but these are all doctors, mind you. Uh-huh. So and, all, all uh, of the zanies were doctors. All of the zanies were doctors. Yes. And one of them had to deal with the heart attack in the crowd on the street while, oh, wow. while we were there. At any rate, uh, the zany parties were famous. And uh, on one occasion, which I didn't go to, and as a matter of fact, this was a story about the Zanies, which came from before my time, before I was at Twin Oaks. But apparently they had invited people for a very formal occasion. And so they knew lots of people who were well-to-do who did go to formal occasions. And so everybody was invited to dress up to come to their farm mm-hmm. for a special event. It was going to be a, a big meal. Everybody was to dress in their finery. And they did. And when they got there, the Zany served them spaghetti in troughs, like a pig trough. <laughs> and they were supposed to dip, put their, this was the fun of it, that everybody was supposed to put their face in it and eat it, eat, eat the spaghetti without using any implements except maybe their hands. <laughs> 
<laughs> and of course, they all got sloppy. But and I'm sure that before the peculiar uh, dinner was served, there was a lot of liquor. The Zanies were party goers and they drank a lot and they also smoked a lot of dope. Yeah. And so everybody was high and happy and ready to do something jolly and crazy when they got around to the big trough full of spaghetti. <laughs> so I'm sure it was a great party. And uh, when they came to our dances, Everybody got to know Patch a little bit. I didn't have any conversations with him, but we knew each other to say hi. He's a huge man. Robin Williams played him on in the movie, and Robin Williams is a short man. But Robin Williams was able to capture the spirit of Patch as a prankster, as a zany, mm -hmm. uh, going through uh, medical school. And it made a very, very entertaining movie. But Patch didn't look anything like Robin Williams. He was almost seven feet tall. Oh, I wow. think six, six feet, 10, six feet, eight, nine, something like that. A very big man. And he had a very big girlfriend and she would dress as a uh, superwoman for these costume parties that we did in these dances. So they were, they were great fun. Yeah, I, I went to a few, uh, cross-dressing dances and mm -hmm. they were fun. The flirting took a particularly different direction when the men were wearing women's clothes and the women were wearing men's clothes. Mm -hmm. A lot of the women began acting like men. Uh, I was not affronted at all when one of the, one of the women put her hand under my dress. <laughs> In fact, I was delighted. <laughs> but this, this was uh, at Twin Oaks. And uh, in terms of all of this about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, so we've pretty much covered the drugs, but I will say something else about the sex. When Twin Oaks began, it was very, very uh, sexually oriented. I told you the little story about Sasha, uh, saying something entertaining to the to the uh, visitors one day. Well, somebody said, well, what about entertainment? What, what can you do to have fun here? You're miles and miles from everything in the middle of the woods. What do you do for entertainment? Sasha paused rather briefly, I thought. And she said, well, we fuck a lot. <laughs> Twin Oaks used to have uh, actually... Orgies, uh, where everybody screwed everybody else. And, you know, it was like that. And uh, that was all done. That was a, a piece of Twin Oaks history that had been, everybody had moved past that mm -hmm. by the time I got to Twin Oaks. And I sort of liked the idea as a thing to try. And I mentioned that to Seth, who was the guy who uh, I went hunting with once. And uh, Seth said, oh, God, I've had enough orgies to, have to last me the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> and there were other communes that Twin Oaks interacted with, right? Like, was there oh, yes. sort of a community of communities that all came yeah. together? Yeah, that's right. There's a publication called Communities. And many, many communities uh, uh, subscribe to it and uh, submit articles to it and so forth. And I believe that it was started at Twin Oaks. It might have been started at the farm, which was in Tennessee, which is a very big commune run by, oh gosh, I don't think the guy's name. Anyway, it was, it was considered to be kind of a cult, but that was before the term cult got so many bad 
connotations. Right. right. Jonestown ruined uh, the idea of uh, communities that were had a spiritual base. Everybody who was in a community that had a spiritual base was now regarded with suspicion by everybody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And the man who whose name escapes me at the moment, if I can think of it before we're done talking, I'll come up with it. But uh, he immediately stopped lecturing. He used to travel and lecture and, and became kind of famous. And he also talked in McDonald's Corners in that that little community hall that was there. Your mother and I met people who were from the farm and and they said that this guy, oh, what was his name anyway? It is an interesting connection. So we're, we're in outside, we're in the Ottawa Valley, which is outside of Ottawa, the capital of Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's just for people who don't know. And it is an interesting connection that people from the farm ended up in our community here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the people at Twin Oaks were in touch with people at the farm. And of course, it was the farm that invented a good tasting nutritional yeast. They somehow figured it out and invented it and and began to sell it. And we we bartered with them for for uh, good tasting nutritional yeast and used it on everything. They invented something called tempeh. Good, what is it? Then? Good, good gravy. What is it? Oh, golden gravy. Golden gravy. Yeah, golden gravy, which is wonderful. And Twin Oaks used to make various things for supper and use golden gravy. Yes, golden gravy is magical. I think it's like you do yummy yeast and flour. You make almost like a roux with some oil and then you mix in water and whisk it really well. And it makes yeah. a vegetarian gravy. It's, it's, really it's good. quite a bit like a white sauce, but with uh, nutritional yeast in it. Mm-hmm. And it is really good. And, 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 I, and did the so I know there's people in McDonald's corners or there were I don't know if they're there anymore who were doing tempeh. Were they associated with the farm? Oh, yeah. The farm. They were right. The and, farm was a vegetarian commune and it was a spiritual place. And Stephen Gaskin, that was his name, Stephen Gaskin. And uh, he immediately stopped lecturing after Jonestown and didn't want to let anybody know that that the farm was in any way a spiritual place. But privately, they they were still. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've gotten we've gotten off on a lot of stuff that sort of relates to Twin Oaks, but I haven't told you anything about the structure of Twin Oaks, how it's organized, how it works, how the work gets done, stuff like that, which which has a lot to do with the feeling of life at Twin Oaks. Mm -hmm. I said we work we work very hard and. We did. The workload would usually be something like 50 hours a week, which sounds terrible. It sounds and like there a were lot. Certain, and there were certainly people who didn't like it, didn't want to work that long and objected and always wanted to get the workload down. But the work, you could do any kind of work that you liked. There's so many things that needed to be done. And it was a main principle that people should choose what they wanted to do and this was set up. This, there were people who organized the division of the hours. You multiplied the membership of the community times 50 hours and you've got a gigantic total. Well, that total is used to, to figure out how much time is going to be spent in cooking, washing the dishes, making hammocks, you know, grading, grading the driveway, digging the garden, working in the machine shop. 
and all every kind of work that got mm -hmm. done was assigned according to what people said they wanted to do. So you, it wasn't as if you were doing an unpleasant job you didn't like for 50 hours. You probably did four or five different kinds of things mm -hmm. of which at least some would have been chosen by you because there were some jobs that people didn't want to do, but they had to be done. Mm -hmm. Dishwashing would be an example. And also taking care of uh, some other things like uh, sewage and uh, hammock making was not a favorite thing to do, although it was made as pleasant as could be done. Uh, everybody worked with headphones on listening to their favorite music. So there was the hammock making, there was farming, right? Yes. Uh, uh, the, the farming did not involve a lot of people. There was one guy and his name was Sefi, S-E-P-H. Seth. And I mentioned that Seth and I went hunting together. Well, one of the cash crops that Twin Oaks did was soybeans. We raised soybeans to sell and the deer in Virginia were prolific. There were lots of deer and um, hunting wasn't like it is in Canada where you know, they arrange to get so many deer shot in the course of the hunting season because there are lots and lots of deer and they still can't keep up with it. But in Virginia, they didn't do all that. And there were a lot of deer and the deer were eating the soybeans. But you're allowed to shoot them if they're eating your cash crop. I see. And Seth and I went with rifles to shoot deer. He was a good shot. He shot a couple deer. And uh, I was terrible. I did shoot a deer one time, but it was because I I laid under a bush at dusk with my rifle propped up so that I could I could draw a bead without wavering and take my time over it when the deer showed up out of the woods. And I did that and I shot a deer and it bounded away after being hit. But it, I was very, very bad, negligent stupid and not very uh, responsible in what happened because I should have gone and looked where that deer ran because it didn't run very far. It ran out of sight and fell down dead. And I thought, oh, God, I think I winged it, but it got away. Yeah. And I went home. And oh. of course, the next day, the buzzards were circling around this now useless carcass. Right. That was, it was very bad of me to do that, but I did shoot a deer. But when I went with Sefi to, to shoot deer one day, the deer appeared far away at the other end of a long stretch. We were on one side of this big field of soybeans behind a hedgerow. And the deer came out of the woods on the other side. And when they appeared, Sefi was on his feet firing in a flash. And... I, I got up and couldn't decide what made the best target or how to, you know, how to be sure I was going to make a good shot. And right. in the end, I didn't get a shot off. I hesitate over everything, trying to do it just the right way. This is one of my characteristics. And sometimes it makes me make really good choices. And other times it makes a, it makes a choice impossible. Right. <laughs> And I remember another occasion when Sefi came back from mowing the, the lower field that was next to the river. He came back with the carcass of a gigantic snake. Hmm. Well, it was a big fat thing and it was about four feet long, lacking a head. His mower had cut the head off this snake in the field. And uh, he said that it was a copperhead. I'd never seen a copperhead of that size. It, it, it could kill you for sure. I mean, it was so big. 
And bite. they're poisonous, right? Not oh yeah, copperhead is a yeah. poisonous snake. Okay. Anyway, uh, so that that was farming, and uh, there was uh, cash cropping. We bought another property. That's where Steph and I used to go to uh, try and kill deer, and that property was used to make a cash crop. And so that was part of Twin Oaks' income: uh, farming products that were sold on the market, and and the garden produced vegetables that were also sold because they were organic. We would wouldn't have anything but an organic garden. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we sold two organic stores in Charlottesville and um, I think a couple of other towns that were accessible. And Twin Oaks still does hammocks, right? Like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Twin Oaks makes a huge amount of hammocks. They have the contract for Pier 1. Oh, wow. And um, uh, Pier 1 has something like 2,000 stores in the United States or used to. I think in the recent times, Pier 1 has been taking a bit of a hit and um, I don't know how they're faring during the pandemic, but I imagine they're in trouble like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But the hammock business became very, very big and is the reason that Twin Oaks became rich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But of course, it also involved making the production of hammocks extremely efficient. Uh, we had big, a lot of forest at Twin Oaks, a lot of oak trees, and the ones that were appropriate to take down, we took down, and the wood was cut up into lumber-sized logs and then turned into stretcher wood mm-hmm. for hammocks. And... Uh, they would be drilled and varnished. And so there was a very large supply of wood that cost, you didn't have to buy them. You you made them from scratch. And all of the rake off that would come from that was part of the profit that went into Twin Oaks. And people did not get a salary. They contributed their labor and got an allowance. And I think that Probably they still do that, but the allowances are bigger. Hmm. And and Twin Oaks has also added all sorts of things that now are used to keep people happy doing things that are interesting and fun to do. Like uh, they have uh, gyms. They have, I'm quite sure that they have basketball courts and swimming. They have a swimming pool. And we used to do all of our swimming in the river. And that was fun. You had to kind of watch out for the poisonous for snakes. snakes. So I have a memory. I have a couple memories of Twin Oaks. Yeah. Because we went back for a visit. It was like a 50th anniversary celebration or something like that. Yes. It, well, it wouldn't have been 50, 30, maybe. Maybe it was, or I, think, I don't know. I think it was a 20 year. Okay. So we went for the celebration and I would have been quite young three four maybe uh, I'm not sure exactly but I was yeah I, I we went I'm sure there were two occasions when we visited Twin Oaks because I I'm pretty sure on on the first occasion when your mother and I visited Twin Oaks together you were an infant mm, okay I'm positive of that so my memory I remember going to a party and lots of adults being very pleased to meet me <laughs> And I remember walking on a dirt path and the dirt was really red. Does that make sense? And it was very red. Like the the dirt was very red. And I remember 
we went swimming and in the river. Uh-huh. And I remember you warning me and saying, be careful of the snake. So I was terrified to go in, first of all. And then everyone I, I did I said that? Oh, what an awful thing to tell children. <laughs> I mean, because there are hardly ever any snakes. Well I, I, I think there was only one snake incident in the river when I went swimming that I in all, f all the five years, there was only one and another one that I heard about. It's uh, possible that you didn't warn me that I had just somehow heard about the snakes, but I had snakes in my mind. Oh, and then but that, we, I, I remember you were terrified when we walked up. Everyone was naked and very hairy. <laughs> I remember more than anything else being perplexed why everybody was naked. <laughs> Of course. Well, that's that's the thing about Twin Oaks. They really do not put any stock in uh, some of the accoutrements of of uh, civilization, because a lot of it stems from classism. Hmm. It does. And, uh, you know, refined people don't go naked. Refined people keep their clothes on and dress in certain ways. Mm -hmm. God damn it. <laughs> and at Twin Oaks, uh, all of that is just goes by the board. Mm -hmm. Then there aren't any honorifics, no Mr. or Mrs. or Dr. or anything like that. Patch was never Dr. Adams. Never. He was Patch. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like that. And, and clothing was unimportant completely. In the last episode, you talked about how or I think it was the last one about how when you would arrive at Twin Oaks, you'd arrive with all of your clothes from your life in the city or wherever, yeah. from your regular job. Yeah. And it would all go end up in this building, this like free store full yeah. of clothing because yeah. all anybody wore was a T-shirt and jeans. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, you everybody would have their 50 hours of work to do, or maybe it would be less. I, I remember going down to 47 at one point. You might as well dress comfortably, you know? Mm -hmm. I, another thing I should say about that work, uh, which was, we, we used to like to mention this to people who were thinking about coming to Twin Oaks. You did have to put in all this time and a lot of it was stuff you could choose to do, but also the stuff that you might have to do as part of your life outside. I mean, you might do a 40 hour work week at some job, but then you still would have the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry mm -hmm. and all of the other aspects of being alive to do on top of earning a living at Twin Oaks. Your hours included all that. Once you did your 50 hours, your cooking was getting done for you. Mm -hmm. And somebody else was doing the dishes. Everything is taken care of. Once your 50 hours are done, you can go swimming or go in the woods and have a smoke or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You'd mentioned that at one time there was a great number of cockroaches there. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, and the that cockroach you fed them story. to the chickens. Right. Okay. So, so you know, the, build the building where we all we had our meals mm -hmm. eventually was changed. Um, eventually, a building was built that had a, a modern kitchen and space for lots and lots of people to, to eat and um, for things like great communal gatherings. I mean, it was a big building, but uh, it was the old farmhouse that was used for because it had a kitchen to start with mm -hmm. and that was expanded. And when Twin Oaks was a new 
community. That was where everybody went to have their meals, although it was there wasn't room inside the building for everybody at once. If it was a rainy day, it was a good thing that mealtime lasted over uh, a few hours so that everybody, the, the feeding people could be staggering naturally. That happened naturally because on a beautiful day, most people would go and sit at the picnic tables in the yard. Mm -hmm. And there were about five or six picnic tables and they'd be full on a beautiful day. People would be sitting outside to have their lunch or their supper. Mm -hmm. But the cockroaches, there was a porch at the back of the, uh, of the kitchen. And that porch uh, was where we had a snack area. So all sorts of things that could be used to make snack, peanut butter, various types of jelly and mayonnaise spread and access to a fridge um, and um, bread. Mm -hmm. there, and so, and of course the, the, this, the counter that we had at that time was uh, a rough, rough counter. It wasn't really as smooth. It certainly wasn't as formica surface mm -hmm. or anything like that. Mm -hmm. There were cracks in the counter and those cracks made great hiding places for cockroaches. And they love to, you know, they love to be there because, and right throughout the kitchen, uh, bits of food that you know, accumulate in crevices and whatever. So it, it was an absolutely wonderful place for cockroaches to thrive. <laughs> Plus, we had cockroaches people, it's in Twin Oaks, a place and, for cockroaches and dreamers. <laughs> well, uh, it was also um, remember some of the people that came to Twin Oaks were very idealistic uh -huh. and some of them were vegetarians and some of them were severely idealistic and wouldn't kill a cockroach for anything. <laughs> um, there was some some thought that maybe we shouldn't even interfere with what they want to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm ex overextending. I don't think anybody really thought that. But there were a lot of cockroaches. And th what was done about them was that once a day, somebody would go in the snack area and maybe in the kitchen too and do a vacuum, run a vacuum, a regular vacuum with a vacuum cleaner bag. Uh -huh. That vacuum cleaner bag would get full of cockroaches. Uh -huh. There were so many cockroaches. And somebody who did the vacuuming would detach the bag and go up to the chicken pen and empty it. And oh boy, did those chickens love cockroaches. I believe it. They just gobble them right up. And uh, uh, it came to pass that all the people who really didn't want to live with cockroaches anymore took a firm stand and said, we have to get rid of the cockroaches. And it means poisoning them. Mm -hmm. And and so a, a company was called that got rid of uh, insect pests. And they said, well, this building is going to have to be fumigated to get rid of them. Right. Uh, everything, the windows, everything has to be sealed so that, you know, we set off a, a bomb inside and the whole building is going to be fumigated for a couple of days and then we'll open it up and we'll clean up all the cockroaches and there won't be any more after that. So anyway, all the cockroaches were swept together into a big pile on the floor of the kitchen. After the fumigation? After the okay. fumigation. All the dead cockroaches were gathered together, swept together, and it was a big pile. Yeah. It was about eight inches deep and about four feet wide. 
It was yeah, just a gigantic pile of dead I cockroaches. It. I heard so, a horror story. This is off topic, but someone told me a horror story once about their apartment building in Parkdale in Toronto in the West End. They fumigated, I guess, some of the upper floors or something for roaches. And she said she was sitting in her living room and all of these roaches just started to come skittering down the wall from all directions. <laughs> Sounds like a literal nightmare. Oh, yeah. Cockroaches are a terrible nuisance. Oh, and mom, mom used to talk about how... You could go into a room and flip on the light and the cockroaches, just like I was describing in the apartment building, would all just run down the walls and into the corners. I don't remember that. But anyway, I'm, I'm sure it's true. I had them in my apartment in New York, too, of course. Ugh. Tons of them. They're the worst. I had them briefly in Toronto, too, and it, I felt so violated because yeah. they're so fast and they hide so well and yeah. they're just everywhere. Yeah. I had my stuff all packed up in our kitchen because someone was moving into my room. And when I went to move, I think it was like my laundry bag, a cockroach scurried out from underneath. I almost oh. barfed on the spot. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty nasty. <laughs> OK, so I wanted to ask you. Really, I'm sure it's the elephant in the room. Everybody's been dying to know about you changing your name from John to Justin. I know this happened during the Twin Oaks year. Yeah, it's part. It, it's a story that extends a little bit before Twin Oaks. I uh, met a woman when I was living near uh, Westport, Connecticut. And for some reason, I was in town and I went into the library in Westport and the librarian attracted me a lot. She was kind of shy and, uh, in a, she was, she was seemed like a person who was very restrained, but very, very sensitive and, and bright and humorous. I don't know. It was a good combination of qualities. I mean, that sounds and, like classic librarian. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe <laughs> anyway. Uh, I got acquainted with her and started dating her. And by the time I was really ready to come to Twin Oaks and had been through my my application and my waiting period and everything, she and I had split ways. But we were still friends. And I told her that I thought I was going to have to change my name when I went to Twin Oaks because there was somebody else named John there. And she said, well, you could change it to Justin. I, I like that name. I've always thought that was a wonderful name. So when I got there and yes, there was somebody named John Hill. And so John was there before I was there and he had captured the name John. <laughs> so I needed to do something else because nobody was going to call us using our last name. I, they, they were not going to refer to me as John Starkweather and him as John Hill. That wasn't going to happen. I needed to be something. You couldn't just be both so John? Just, pardon? Was, you couldn't just both be named John? Well, I imagine we could have, but people seem to not be too keen on it. Okay. And a lot of people had changed their names I already see. for similar purposes. So it was sort of part of the culture there. It, it, sort, it was sort yeah. of, and yeah. it was, it was kind of expected, not required, but somewhat expected. And so I still had, uh, I still had some feelings of fondness for this, this girl woman. And, uh, I decided I would use the name she had suggested and I became Justin. And from then on, I was Justin to everybody at Twin Oaks and very few people knew, knew me that I knew that I was actually John. So you were John until the, you know, about age 
for 30 something or 40. What, how old were you? So I was John up until 1974 or thereabouts and became Justin. And then after that, I was only John or Johnny to my family mm -hmm. because I, I stopped knowing other people, really. I lived at Twin Oaks for five years and friends that I had had uh, on the outside uh, drifted away into the other parts of their lives. And when I came to Canada, I wasn't near anybody that I had you know, known before either. So, yeah, I, I was permanently Justin after 1974. So you've been Justin for more than half your life now. Yeah. Yeah. And comfortably so. Although I still kind of like the like being called Johnny. Yeah. Uh, Woody calls me Johnny and his wife, Janet, calls me Johnny. Well, our son is Robin John Christopher after you. And it would have been Justin, but Robin Justin sounds weird. So <laughs> it's Robin John. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was the philosophy on child rearing. Twin Oaks was founded as a, an experiment, a Walden II experiment. The name of Kat's book, Kat Kincaid is the founder, as much as there is one founder. There's a small group of people. Kat Kincaid was the leader of the group that founded Twin Oaks, that bought the property, moved there, and tried to survive growing vegetables and making things for people. Okay. Do you know what year it was started? Or how long it had been established? I the think time you got they there? were, I think it was, I think it had only been operative for about 12 years when I got okay. there. Because some of the original people who were in Kat's book were still there. Hmm. Gabe hmm. was one of the original people. And I remember Gabe very well. He was quite a guy. So, okay, so sorry to interrupt. So about children, about children. Kids. So hmm. it, uh, in Kat's book, it, she describes how how Twin Oaks is founded as a Walden II experiment. Walden II is a book by a man named Skinner. Mr. Skinner wrote this book in which children were kept apart from adults and cared for by just a few adults who specially wanted to take care of children. And uh, this, I'm not sure what advantages were painted in the Skinner book about this, but they also were... The, their very early childhood was uh, in something called a Skinner box. And I don't think anybody at Twin Oaks ever put their kid in a Skinner box. For some reason, that intuition told parents that that just wouldn't work. And of wait, course wait, it, what's a Skinner box? It's, a, it's an enclosure where... All the things that affect a child physically are controlled. Temperature, fresh air, food, water, bathroom. All of this is somehow controlled automatically to whatever degree automation could accomplish. Skinner did put his own child in a Skinner box and she came with him when people at Twin Oaks met them when they visited. Um, I was there at the time, but I did not meet them. I saw them as I went about my, my day. I saw Mr. Skinner and his daughter, uh, who later on, we found out, committed suicide. She was a pretty unhappy person. Being raised in a Skinner box did not do her any good whatsoever. Um, I mean, just the term Skinner box sounds really horrific. <laughs> it, it does. It does. It does. Um, but 
It was thought by some people to be a really good thing. Mr. Skinner thought so, and he convinced some people. Uh, there are people who will believe anything, I think. And you can only look at the situation in the United States with Trump being a, a misogynistic, racist asshole. Mm -hmm. And how many people think he's wonderful? You know, I well, think a lot of people don't, but also... Absolutely. Yeah, some people think people he's do, terrific, which is uh, but disturbing. <laughs> oh, it's very disturbing yeah. that there's such people. But anyway, I, you, you can count on some people thinking that Skinner's invention was wonderful. The idea of keeping children separate and raising them separately by people who were devoted to the work, that was appealing. A lot of people did not want to have children. Some of those people had had women had had their tubes tied and they didn't want children. They didn't want to be around children. Mm -hmm. And they were part of the social balance mm -hmm. at Twin Oaks. And of course, there were people who wanted to have children, but didn't want to devote their life to child rearing. They wanted to be involved in the community and creating an alternative lifestyle and things mm -hmm. of this sort. Mm -hmm. uh, if, they, if they were idealistic or they just did not want the discomfort of having to deal with children's needs all the time. Right. Uh, let's face it. Some hippie people were not very well developed in, in adult maturity mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. in responsibility. Right. As far as we're talking about children, mm -hmm. uh, I would say that this, this situation with the children living apart and can, and only people, uh, now the parents would come and visit them. They're true. They would visit their children possibly once a day, uh, to keep in touch. And the kids all knew who their parents were, but the, the metas, which is an Israeli name, people on the kibbutz did the same thing. And this was thought to be imitating the kibbutzim, right. which in a way it was, but it was based originally based on the Skinner idea. But much about Twin Oaks was thought to resemble kibbutzim. At any rate, the, what I felt about the children was that uh, they did better with their parents. And a lot of the parents came to realize that I remember in a meeting, one woman, mother of a little girl who was in the, in the group of children, was talking about her feelings about it. She said, I'm in love with my little girl. It's, it's not that I just love her and want her to be cared for. I'm in love with her. I want her with me all the time. And eventually there needed to be some room for this in, in the mm -hmm. situation. But an actual building was built. I was there when this building was constructed and Henry Hammer and other people were involved in planning it. It was made out of modules that were brought and put in place with derricks. And it did indeed make a wonderful building for the purpose of having children. And I taught a Montessori class there. So I just want to clarify. So the kids, if you came into Twin Oaks with a child or if you had a child while living there, your kid would be kept separate from you for the majority of the time. Yeah, I, I think it, people, people and, and people. sleep separately. Yes. Because I mean, people work like in regular contemporary yeah. Western society, people work and are away from their children. But then in the evening and the morning, they're together, you know? Yeah. Well, huh. that this, this, this was it. They were, people could, people could, um, a parent might indeed go and pick up their child and bring the child to the communal supper. Everybody would have supper at the same time and there'd be a lot of children 
there because the parents were bringing their children to have the meal with the kid. Right. And spend the evening with the kid before bedtime. But then the kid would go and sleep in the children's house. I'm not sure if I'm horrified by this idea or if I think it sounds wonderful. (laughs) Well, it certainly had a lot of, I did have a lot of good points. And I don't think that the children were harmed by this. So I'm still stuck on kids being away, like being in this sort of sleepaway camp. It feels like were were children allowed to stay like if the parents wanted their kid to stay with them and sleep in their bed with them at night. Was that allowed? I'm sure it would have been. OK. I mean, you know, who is who's going to, you know, I mean, somebody might say, is that really a good idea for you to sleep with your kid? Somebody might think that and say so. Right, woman right. who took her kid to bed with her uh, or especially if a dad did. Who knows? You know, uh, mm-hmm. people were very aware of mm-hmm. the men possibly abusing little children. And there were well, there was one guy I remember who definitely had a what I believe was a prurient interest in the little girl mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. And uh, people noticed it spoke to him about it. And I think he left the community. Is there anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't talked about? Yeah. The planners. The planners? In Walden 2, Skinner's book, the community that he set up was run by planners. They planned things that should happen or things, decisions that should be made. And Twin Oaks elected a couple of people they called planners who had their decisions were always made with a lot of input from everybody. Not necessarily voting, not referendums, Mm -hmm. but meetings where the general shape of public opinion, and I mean the Twin Oaks public, Mm -hmm. the membership, uh, the, the general shape of opinion, the planners would soak that in from the meeting. And some of these meetings were long and very often they were contentious because people would have different ideas about what you should do about this thing or that thing. And they would present their ideas and sometimes they got quite attached to what they wanted. Mm-hmm. But you see, this sort of attachment is what we get from the society that we have outside of communal life, uh, where individualism tells you what you want is very important and you fight for what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Cooperation requires an ability to be flexible over what you want. And again, the maturity, the wisdom to do without what you want, if it's necessary to do without it. If what somebody else wants is the only obstacle to what you want, well, then you have a situation where where the two of you need to get together and meet in the middle somehow. Mm-hmm. This is, it's hard for people to do who've been raised with a sort of freedom that we had in the United States, which is I get to do what I want, God damn it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to. And uh, as time went on, I remember even as a teenager being at a beach party and hearing some guys say, well, I'm going to take care of number one. There was a common attitude. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look after number one. Okay, it's it that really gets in the in the way of cooperation 
Whereas human beings at their happiest have often been in situations where there was a lot of cooperation. I think some primitive people who needed to cooperate in order to survive were perhaps happier than some of modern people. There's a book called um, The Heart of a Hunter, which is about the Bushman in Africa. And I think the Bushman is a phenomenon that doesn't exist anymore in Africa. They've been hunted into extinction and displaced physically to the point where they just they cannot live anymore. When you say the Bushman, what do you mean? I mean, Af African people who are very small, uh, who live only by hunting and gathering and have done so for thousands of years. Okay. And they, they are happy, at least in the heart of a hunter. You get a picture of a, of a very happy people encountering modern life and modern life doesn't look so good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that book. Um, so to talk about the planners, everything was decided in, in a meeting. Sometimes it would be a big meeting. And I described how sometimes uh, visitors would come and try to influence the outcome of the meeting. It, it seemed to me to be a, a pretty good way of organizing the community because they were able to delegate subdivisions of responsibility, people who took care of legal matters and figured out things having to do with income tax and banking mm -hmm. and other people whose job was to uh, plan the hours and who gets what hours and other people who made decisions about what to grow and so forth. I mean, all of this would be under the aegis of the planners who would be influenced by by the community. Um, so it, it worked out pretty well. And I, I think as a as a functioning cooperative entity on an economic sharing basis, Twin Oaks is a terrific success, a terrific success and a sample of what could be possible for so many people who are, are now possibly going to be without a home. They're mm -hmm. going to be thrown out of their apartments and their rented homes. And what are they going to do? Well, at the moment of crisis, when they find themselves on the street with little children, perhaps, what can they do? They cannot suddenly turn into a community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if a community was available and they could go there, it would be very good. And indeed, all of those people could, if they had time to do it, they could have formed a community if they would have known to do it, but it's against what they believe on the most, for the most part. Most people do not envision cooperative life as the way forward, but you know, it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely a solution to great problems that the world faces. Why did you leave? Well, I, I left partly because your mom wanted me to. And partly there was also another woman in the situation. I had been having an affair with a woman who was trouble. She was trouble. 
And she was trying desperately to hang on to me. And I was just trying to shake her loose. I had been trying to shake her loose. And when your mom wanted me to come to Canada. So there was the carrot part. Right. And getting rid of this other person was the stick part. So I had both carrot and the stick (laughs) when I was going to leave Twin Oaks. So do you think you would have stayed there much longer if if mom wasn't in the picture? um, Well, between one thing and another, I... I think I might have. I had originally certainly intended to. Yes, I remember you said that you had made a pact with... McCune. McCune and I had a lot of discussions about why people left Twin Oaks. And we we decided that we really thought that it was the best place to live. If you wanted to live with a purpose... there might be other places, but that's what we knew. And we, we made a pact. We were going to stay there for our the rest of our lives. And it was only a couple of years after that that I found myself in a position where I wanted to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I had to apologize to McCune. We'll move away from Twin Oaks towards our regular segment, which is what are you listening to? Although I've switched it to listening to slash watching slash reading. <laughs> oh, I've decided oh. to I've decided to open the question up a bit. Okay. Because yeah. Oh well, of course, with this Chromecast device that we have that makes it possible to put all sorts of music on the television so that you see the orchestra when you're listening to the music and be able to put. Uh, movies, ancient movies you can get from uh, a streaming source or from YouTube. And you can get tons and tons of movies and films and also television programs through uh, Netflix and uh, Crave and Home Box Office. And also, of course, Prime, which I don't like because it's one more effort by Jeff Bezos to pick up more profit from something else. Mm. He has just about everything. And I find it annoying. He needs to give back a huge amount of the money that he's scooped up from the economy and put in his pocket untaxed. Not fair. Okay, so you ask, what am I watching and listening to on television? We watched a a few movies, a few Meryl Streep movies uh, that were wonderful. And a a couple with Helen Hunt, a very interesting one called The Sessions, in which she actually has sex with a handicapped young man. And it's all about helping him. She's a sex therapist in the movie. Uh, It's called The Sessions, and that's pretty interesting. And Mm -hmm. then there's, uh, oh, we saw Out of Africa and, um, oh gosh, I don't know, a bunch of things. It's been interesting. We've been doing that a lot as the news about the coronavirus in the United States gets more and more depressing and frightening. And uh, so we, we listen to some of that, then we turn it off and watch a movie or or watch an orchestra or somebody playing or singing. Did you, in the 90s, I guess it was the probably 90s into the 2000s, did you watch Unsolved Mysteries? You must have. I know mom watched it and we all lived together, so. Probably. Well, there's on Netflix, there's an Unsolved Mysteries reboot. So they, I don't know when it went off the air, but they've made a new season of Unsolved Mysteries with contemporary 
cases. And I've really enjoyed that. Well, we've watched a few few things that go along that line of subject. Mm-hmm. It, uh, we, we watched a movie called this called Zodiac, mm-hmm. which is about uh, the, the efforts Zodiac to killer. catch the Zodiac killer, which never succeeded. Never been solved. We have an episode on the Zodiac killer. Yeah. Well, so on the new Unsolved Mysteries, they cover... In fact, I think there might be one on the Zodiac Killer. Now that I think about it, I think there's an episode on the Zodiac Killer. But they cover true crime cases. But there's one particular episode about a UFO encounter that happened. It was in Massachusetts, maybe. It was in New England. And people in these kind of people who didn't know each other but in a geographically fairly close region, all had these wild experiences. And I mean, I sort of believe in aliens and UFOs anyway. After watching this, I was like, it's obviously true. All of these people are having these experiences concurrently and lost time. And anyway, I really enjoyed it. Recently, it was on CNN that the United States army or it's the air force is releasing information that they are collecting about ufos now that some of their pilots have established and recorded yeah uh, sites of, of ufos and talked about it and so forth there are some there's footage from jets that pilots have Uh, just their I don't even know what you call it but like their screen on the jet it must just record what's happening on the screen there where the pilots are like what the hell is that do you see that thing look at just where did it go like and they're having a clearly unscripted conversation about this object in the air and multiple pilots saw it they're on the radio with each other right yeah it's pretty neat but yeah this episode of unsolved mysteries had me I don't want to say what happens to the people because it's better if you, if I don't spoil it for people who are going to watch it. But it well, we, I think we'd probably both like to watch it. What's the name of it again? Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. It's on Netflix. Okay. So all that's left really is thank yous and plugs. So thank you, Dad. Thank you for coming on the show again. Oh, sweetheart. You're so welcome. I enjoy talking to you and going over what is now ancient history sometimes. <laughs> so anyway. Well, I've really enjoyed this as well. <clears throat> this whole series. I don't know if we'll find another. I mean, I guess there's a whole part of your life where you ended up in Canada. Oh, my God. The hammock business. <laughs> uh, Maybe we'll do a hammock oh, episode. <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, it begins to trail off into nothingness. <laughs> It well, does, it well does then maybe we'll cap it off at episode yeah. three in your series. Have you ended off with you gloriously heading to Canada from your country commune to embark on? Uh, well, if there's anything interesting about my story, about the three segments that you've done, it's that it's stuff that most people haven't done. Right. But of all the people who might listen to your podcast in Canada, most of them have had some sort of employment in Canada or right. aspire to it or yeah. something. And it, it stops being very unusual. completely. Well, maybe, although I don't know very many people who made their career making hammocks. <laughs> okay. 
I'm just going to finish up this stuff. Thank you, dad. I already said. So thank you again. And thank you to everybody for listening. If you liked the show, please tell your friends. Or if you have a couple of bucks, go to patreon.com slash teach me tiger podcast where for as little as $2 a month, you get access to bonus episodes for every free episode. Scenes from the cutting room floor kind of thing. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's just too juicy to put out on the public podcast. $2. That's all it costs to find out what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, you hope you make a fortune, honey. (laughs) Well, not yet, but maybe. (laughs) And we're on Instagram and Facebook at Teach Me Tiger Podcast. And the website is teachmetigerpodcast.ca. And I think that's all I have to say about that. Are you ready to roar? One one last roar. Oh, I'm supposed to roar. Uh, okay, so I'm going to cue you. And remember, it's a jungle out there. Mew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> Teach me time. How to tease you.